0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, Welcome uh, to our little friendly uh, weather podcast that we talk about every uh, Wednesday night. This is the uh, Wednesday, August 30th edition. Hard to believe we're at the end of August, uh, moving into uh, September. It's uh, crazy to believe how fast this year is moving by. So uh, welcome tonight. We have uh, two great guests on with us. As always, uh, you know our good friend Brad Panovich, Chief Meteorologist at NBC Charlotte joining us and as our first time guest, Mr. Troy Kimmel. He is a University of Texas meteorologist for those guys. You teach, Troy. You do a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, we have a good time. and known Brad for a lot of years and if you pay me enough money tonight, we'll talk about that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, no, looking forward to it and a good time. But unfortunately, there's nothing weather-wise to talk about.
0: I'm telling you, it's been pretty quiet down (laughs) your way, huh? It
1: has.
0: Uh, We look forward to to having Troy and Brad on both with us tonight. Uh, Just a couple of housekeeping rules. This is a live broadcast. Uh, We're uh, live streaming right now on Facebook Live, Periscope, uh, our YouTube uh, channel. Uh, Or if you're listening on the uh, podcast, maybe you're traveling down the road a couple of days from now, uh, please feel free to interact with us uh, the best way that you want. Uh, send those questions in via Twitter or Facebook or Periscope or Facebook Live. We'll be able to get those answered. And uh, we'll let our guests uh, share any social media um, platforms they want to at the end of the show. So if you are listening on the podcast, uh, you'll be able to get in touch with them as well. Like uh, Troy said, it's, it's been kind of quiet. No, not really. Uh, it's been pretty active here, especially here in the Carolinas. It's been fairly quiet, though. Um, All the action has been along the uh, Texas and and Louisiana coast. So uh, what we're going to do tonight is talk about precipitation probabilities. Uh, Once we cover that, uh, we're going to kind of dedicate the last 15, 20 minutes, you know, 25 minutes or so of the show kind of recapping Harvey. uh, You know, Brad has been following this as as long as Troy, uh, who's been down in Texas area. So Troy's got some firsthand experience. So we'll uh, kind of recap Harvey as well. So before we do that, let's uh, toss it around the – The table here and I guess uh, Harvey uh, made landfall in Louisiana and is moving through uh, Louisiana into Mississippi and maybe on the doorsteps of Memphis tomorrow. So I want to bring in Eric. Uh, Eric's uh, there in Memphis. So are you guys getting prepared, Eric?
2: Yeah, we're doing our best, trying to uh, especially get a handle on the wind and the uh, rainfall here over the next 24 hours. It's really going to start to move in uh, during the uh, late overnight into uh, tomorrow. Looks like pretty intense rainfall during the uh, afternoon and evening. Tomorrow could get some pretty strong wind gusts. Looks like the latest track is going to take it just to the east of Memphis. Um, and so uh, we're looking at uh, rainfall totals that normally, with this kind of a track in the winter time, we'd be talking the same amounts for snowfall here in Memphis. But uh, it's rain. Um, and and, uh, it's going to be pretty heavy. So we're, we're preparing for the, uh, distinct possibility of, uh, about six inches here in the, in the Memphis Metro portions of West Tennessee could see up to 10 inches, uh, as the thing kind of, uh, transitions to an extra tropical system, it's going to add some wind to the equation as well. And so, uh, pretty strong northerly wind gusts, uh, maybe as high as 30 to 40 miles an hour or so. So we will, uh, secure all of the, uh, trash cans outdoors and make sure that, uh, that the grill covers are on secure <laughs> and, uh. And plan for an arc. <clears throat> Not anything, of course, like they, uh, like they had in Texas, but it's, uh, it's interesting to hear some of the same terminology applied to uh, six to eight inches here that they were talking about down uh, on the coast. So we'll see how it all works out.
1: Yeah, the area- they've, uh, they've, they've actually issued a, a flash flood watch, right? The flash flood watches are out from the mid-south.
2: Yep, flash flood watches are out, and actually they've proactively issued uh, flood warnings on some of the tributaries to the river. Um, I saw one of them in particular is at three feet right now, and the flash flood warning uh, is for a crest at 22 feet tomorrow night. So uh, they expect those to rise pretty quickly.
3: Wow. Eric, are you on the marginal or slight edge of the uh, SPC convective outlook?
2: Yeah, we're uh, – Memphis proper is right on the edge of the uh, – the west edge of the marginal. Uh, eastern portions of North Mississippi and southeastern West Tennessee are in the slight risk. So we're on the favorable side as far as the the tornado threat. But we're going to be in a deformation zone that's going to get us some pretty strong wind gusts uh, out of the north.
0: And, Ricky, you guys also are going to be close to the track of uh, of Harvey as he uh, tracks through Middle Tennessee and up into Kentucky. So uh, what, what's the latest there in the Tri-Cities area?
4: Yeah, expecting some uh, rain late tonight into Thursday, kind of periods of rain and then watching late Thursday night for some gusty winds, probably in our highest elevations, maybe some gust forty, forty-five, 40, 45. And then uh, Friday, as a kind of sector of some clearing moves in and also a little bit of instability, I wouldn't be shocked to uh, see a spin-up tornado or to in that northeast quadrant. Um, The dynamics look like they're there. It's just going to be if we have any instability or not, the question really when it comes to Friday. I think tomorrow, though, I was reading the SPC, though, uh, talking about perhaps a decent little tornado threat across North Alabama and uh, Central Tennessee, so we'll watch that for our friends to the West tomorrow. All
0: right, and then I, uh, I know earlier I said it's kind of been quiet here in the Carolinas, but I was I was telling you wrong. It, it's actually been a little active on the coastline. Uh, I'm going to bring in Jared uh, Jared Smith there in the uh, Charleston area. Jared, you guys, you and Shay both have had to deal with uh, – Post, or potential tropical cyclone number 10 that we thought was Irma, but really didn't turn out to be Irma. Uh, how was things down there in the uh, the low country this weekend?
5: Well, today was nice. Some clouds, a little bit of sprinkles. Uh, only got up to about 80, 81. It was really just uh, very nice. Everyone was like, can you keep the fall around? Is like, no, tomorrow's going to be 88. Uh Warm front's going to lift north along with that Harvey circulation, and uh, we're going to get a little of that... Uh, we're just. We might be dealing with a couple strong storms of our own come Friday, but we'll see. That looks like a lot of that's going to stay to our north. Um, Saturday just looks just gross. Just lots of moisture, lots of rain, and then uh, starts to clear out Sunday, and Monday. So we're going to salvage a nice little Memo- uh Labor Day weekend, not Memorial Day. Um, and a um, lot of rain though. A lot of yeah. It's just yeah. It's all the same, right? Now. But <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of rain from. Uh, PTC 10 though I've got the cooker rods up from the uh, from a couple days ago, and you know some uh, almost six inch totals here uh, in uh, Mount Pleasant where we had a nice little band of rain that up and stay so uh, Yeah, definitely a good soaker for us. Not, we don't need it. Um, I Really am not looking forward to any rain, but yeah, so it goes
3: Yeah, I have to agree. I mean we had some nice cool temperatures It was nice for us for several days even yesterday. We thought the clouds might break up and Sun come out, but uh, that northeast wedge was fairly persistent, especially around the backside of PTC 10, and we had uh, sort of that mid-level northerly flow still coming coming down, more of a cat event actually, so it kept things on the cooler side. Clouds are very slow to break up. Uh, we're keeping some mid-level strata around today, but I think we're going to get a, a decent little sea breeze or modest sea breeze tomorrow, probably building up into southern North Carolina uh, and then moderate on Friday. Uh, so it'll look more like a typical summer day on Friday, but then comes Saturday. Well, the thunderstorms Friday, don't forget those, but then Saturday gets a little bit messy as well. Um, tropics wise, um, I know we're going to get to some of that in the show. We always kind of give a brief, a little heading on it. Uh, let's see, do a screen share real quick. Looking at, um, let me know when you can see this. You're there. All right. So tropical depression, Harvey is heading slowly off to the, uh, north, northeast at eight miles per hour. It's got a lot of moisture with it. Uh, over here, Irma, this has kind of been the big story today. We want to try to make sure that folks know that this system is very, very far out. We don't know for sure exactly which track it's going to take. We do know that it's a strong, it's getting to be a strong tropical storm at this time. It's 60 miles per hour, uh, and the, the pressure is is only 1,001 millibars, so it's not really, I don't think it's really going to strengthen too much over the next 12 hours or so. It may become a hurricane by Friday, uh, but it still has a long ways to go. It has a little bit of dry air to combat, and um, the track of it does take it uh continue it to the west and then it, we see sort of a west southwest drop so the inclination here is that this thing could push a little further east towards the Dominican Republic maybe just north of those islands but beyond that don't really want to say anything uh nothing to be concerned about at this very moment uh if we look at sims tropical track uh the nhc does think it could become a, a category two uh hurricane and within the 48 hour forecast 48 to 72 hours so Uh, We're watching this one very closely, but again, like I said, nothing really to worry about this moment uh, as we continue to watch it. It spins off to the west. And back to you, Scotty.
0: All right. Thank you, Shay. Uh, Peter, it seems like it's been fairly quiet up there in your area. What's uh, been going on in the the Philadelphia area?
6: Yeah, well, uh, we had some downpours yesterday from that stupid tropical cyclone 10, whatever the name is, like that long name. It's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, we did get uh, pretty much a washout yesterday. It was just downpours all day long. And, uh, we only hit a high of 65 yesterday, which is pretty rare for August around here. Uh, but pretty much this whole month has been only seventies and eighties for highs when usually we're in the low nineties, mid nineties and uh high humidity. So even as we get into September, uh, still looking pretty cool. Only seventies and eighties for highs, the labor day weekend, not looking too bad. We're going to get some remnants from Harvey on Saturday, but, uh, just looks like some scattered downpours, nothing too uh, major from that. And uh, and next week's looking pretty dry and cool too. So uh, it's been pretty quiet around here this summer, nothing too major going on. And uh, hopefully we don't get any hurricane threats the next month or so. But who knows with uh, Irma spinning out there in the Atlantic. But all is quiet, all is good. So Scotty, back to you.
0: All right, thank you, Peter. And James, I'll toss it to you finally here in the Charlotte area. It's been pretty quiet around here, not much to talk about.
7: No, I actually I've had the windows open at night, saving on that air conditioned bill a little bit. Uh, uh, for folks who are watching on our uh, broadcast that is on Facebook and Periscope this evening, I'm going to put uh, Peter back in the double box for a second. Peter, are you copying me? I see that green sheet behind you. I see it.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I wanted to copy a little bit.
7: Okay. All right. You got. to spread Microphone it out a <laughs> little though. No, no. You <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a little cover. wrinkly. Fun first so uh but That's other, than right. that, other than that scotty the, the weather here has uh has been great and uh, i'm hoping it stays nice and cool Hope the electricity bill out a little bit and uh you know uh keep the windows open get some fresh air so
0: all right sounds good ricky we'll go ahead and uh, toss it to you so we can talk about our uh our precipitation probabilities and then i uh, go into talking about harvey some
4: all righty talking about the dreaded pops tonight the thing that everyone sees every day but uh probably is 100% confused about most of the time. Brad, you're perhaps no one better to talk about this because you see this on a daily basis. And as a, someone who's very involved in social media, you see different values all across the social media sphere. Talk a little bit about just the struggles on the basic <laughs> scale of how there's so many different definitions.
8: Well, yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing uh, for the public to understand because I think the way that meteorologists look at POPs, probability of per- precipitation, is far different than how the public looks at it. Um, I know a lot of broadcast meteorologists who don't want to show POPs at all, um, and I think that's kind of the wrong approach, um, even though I do understand that generally the public does not understand fully what they mean. But I do think that the public has kind of adapted their own meaning to them. So I'm a big fan of showing them just because um, the way that we present weather information on TV with a seven day and icons and wording sometimes isn't descriptive enough. And it's kind of nice to have the extra text of a number to kind of emphasize what the probability of seeing rain is. Now, I'll be the first to admit the public probably doesn't understand, at least as a meteorologist, that that's the confidence in the chance of rain times the coverage. <laughs> but I kind of think the public uses them similarly to just the scale from zero to 10 um, in 10 percent increments of what is the chance I'm going to see rain. Um, so I tend to think that people kind of use it that way. But you still run into the the typical mentality, which I'm going to try to share this right here. This was a graphic that I actually stole um, um from my good friend Evan up in uh, at VC um that when you forecast a 20% chance of rain um you'll get two people that you're in the 20% chance say that we're never right why is it raining and then the other 80% say why isn't it raining they said there was a chance of rain today um so you get a big confusion among the public on how they how they perceive these these rain threats uh, especially with the advent of apps um, that people are using now and getting these numbers on their phone. Um, I, I run into it often, one of my biggest uh, <laughs> biggest battles is people going to the beach and pulling up their app for the beach, and it says um, 80% chance of rain. Um, when in reality, that's just the typical afternoon little thunderstorm rolling through on the beach at about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and then you're done and it's clear. And people will literally cancel their plans at the beach because of that, that 80% pops. And they're not realizing that that could be the, a a rain shower for, (laughs) excuse me, five minutes and be done. So, um, that is the constant battle to educate people uh, on how we use them on the air and how, you know, they are interpreted on apps. So it's, it's a daily battle, but I don't think they're going away. One of the reasons I do show them on the air is because they are available in other places. If I don't show them They're going to get them somewhere else. So why not be for me? And hopefully I use them in a way that people kind of grasp. I honestly do use them on air similar to the way people interpret them, even though it's not to the letter of the National Weather Service definition. Um, So I tend to adjust them based on how the viewer interprets that that pops.
4: Troy, is there a certain way that you found that people kind of perceive them?
1: I have to agree completely with Brad and what he says. It's, it's a number that the public uses, Ricky, that they have no idea what it is, but I'm okay with that. Um, if you if you go talk to a class, and I, I spend my time at least uh, beginning tomorrow for the fall semester in front of about three or 400 undergraduates in a, in a non-major uh, meteorology or, or intro atmospheric science class, um, and I ask him whether or not they'll take an umbrella with them with a 10% chance of rain, 20, 30, 40, the hand start. I, I don't care that much that that's what people do. I think that's the same thing Brad's saying in a way that's, this is what they're doing. What's the downside to it? Oh, you get wet. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the whole thing. You get wet. It's not like you're probably not going to die because of getting wet. And so as a result, th- this is what, um, This is where we are right now with that, Uh, and we'll talk about what it means and that sort of thing later on. Where I get worried, Brad and Ricky and everybody else, is where we're taking it now, and you saw that in the early and mid-1980s. Brad wasn't born then, Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I knew that, Brad. Um, But when they started doing using hurricane probabilities, folks, the public began to equate that with rainfall. The outcome (laughs) in the hurricane probabilities, you may get killed. It's not that you're going to get wet. And so we, we saw the danger involved in that. And now, as Brad and I can tell you, I, I finished up um, a week at the um, uh, warning test bed in Norman at the University of Oklahoma uh, within the last three months talking about um, uh, probability of, of tornadoes, uh, lightning, this worn-on facets sort of thing that the government's beginning to work on maybe for about three or four years from now. And that's the first thing I thought about. I'm sitting there going, oh boy, rainfall probabilities and, you know, a, a 50% of a tornado occurring in this area. I'm worried that they can, they take that 50% from the rainfall probabilities and try to equate it with a 50% chance of a tornado. We have a lot, Brad said it, we have a lot of
8: education to do. Yeah, Troy, I'm with you on that. That, that is probably my biggest concern as well, because we use these percentages and so many other hazards that... You know, and for instance, we were talking before we went on live about SPC outlooks. You know, we all know if we saw a 5% tornado risk tomorrow, we'd probably be a little concerned. <laughs> but yeah. for the public, if that was, if they equate that to a rain chance, they're probably like, oh, no big deal. 5% yeah. doesn't sound like much. But to us as meteorologists, we understand a 2% is is kind of the threshold we start looking at. It, but 5%, 10%, that's really high for a tornado chance because of the danger that a tornado does present. And that's what we saw, Brad, with the, the hurricane
1: situation when the probabilities came out in coastal areas. People were staying because they were looking at 5 and 10%, 20% chances. And what we know about those hurricane probabilities is they'll stay relatively low until the storm gets there, and then they skyrocket. And by that time, you don't have time to evacuate. So, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, that's the uh, – in, in a way, that's the only danger with the rainfall probabilities. I'm afraid people are going to take that forward in some of the new – scientific applications and, and ways that we're actually headed.
4: You know, as we go towards facets and everything, like you're kind of leading to Troy, the probability of a tornado in that facets polygon, (laughs) maybe 30, 40% of you being impacted, but let's say it's a rather large tornado or a tornado that turns suddenly or something like we've seen some do in the past. That 40% is uh, still not zero.
1: Yeah. And that's what, uh, Ricky, when, um, when I was in Norman, I was sitting there in that chair, um, uh, all the folks up there, I was sitting there sweating. I was sweating those 20, 30% probabilities of tornadoes and things like that. And 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 boxes that we were seeing and things that the, the computers were telling us. And I really kind of realized that because these are two different beasts in a way.
4: In a way though, is it different? And Brad, you can comment on this too. You know, instead now it's almost like we're giving a zero to one hundred percent chance with the polygon boxes. Uh, is it different how we would do in the future where you would have a, a smaller number? But is it better in a communication aspect to do it that way? Wow,
8: mm. yeah,
4: I Mean because now think, we kind of say if you're inside the box you're in danger if you're outside you're not in danger
8: Yeah, and, and the thing I you know and I'm with Troy I, I, I've gone through the, the hazardous weather test bed, but what by the way is one of the most amazing things you can participate in because it Really is an eye-opener um, the thing I took away from from facets and and what i've what I've seen and worked with facets is I think one of the interesting things about those numbers is how with even within the polygon and over time, kind of like with the hurricane probabilities, your your chances could go up and down um as the storm approaches. And um I think that's one thing we haven't really educated the public on. they They might just take the one instantaneous number and say, Oh, that's my only risk where over time, that number could be increasing. Um, It could go from 10% up to 50% and up to 70%. One of the products I looked at um, when I was at the hazardous weather test bed was the Severe Probs um, product for hail, tornadoes. And and one of the things I found by working with that product, it it gives you a percentage. It gives you a a percentage of hail, damaging winds, and tornadoes. But what I found is the actual raw number wasn't really important. It was the jumps in the numbers, that were much more useful. So it was almost like if you went from a zero to a 5% chance or a 10% chance, uh, that was more concerning to me than the fact that it was 5 or 10% because the number was going up. Um, and so I think in some of these impact events like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, I think we might have to educate the public not to look at the actual number, but that the fact that the threat is increasing um, from where it was earlier. And you know, a good example I like to use, I like the medical field, but for whatever reason, people... Um. Even though the medical field has some of the same flaws we have in meteorology, for whatever reason, in meteorology people don't take the threat seriously. In medicine, if I told you you had a five percent chance of cancer, you would probably go check, get something checked out, right? Um, but for whatever reason, in meteorology, if we tell you, you have a five percent chance of a tornado, people are like, "Ah, eh, no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it." Uh, it just it, it's kind of interesting how human nature we treat the two threats. Um, in the same number, completely different because yeah. one's meteorology versus medicine. <laughs> and 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 really, Brad, the 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 rainfall numbers. So
1: those people out there that may be watching or listening to us tonight, the rainfall numbers—they're not that difficult to understand. It's the junk science that's out there that. Uh, you know, that, that uh, with a 10% chance of rain, people think it means that 10% of the area is going to get rain or it's going to be raining 10% of the time, which is not what it means. All it is is a pure statistical probability for a point. And what's even more interesting that I tell my students, it depends on the area being forecast for. I work for a radio station here in Austin. I've only got six counties. We're a low power station. And so my forecast kind of built on the Austin Metro. Well, then, Brad, uh, you've got a lot bigger area than that okay. in your TV coverage area. You're doing, you would have a different probability that you would include and that you would formulate. Uh, weather service is generally county-based, county, uh, county based, I think, with most of that. Um, so everyone's numbers may look the same, but keep in mind that we're probably forecasting differently for different locations.
8: Yeah, That's
6: we were exactly just
1: talking right.
8: about this today, Troy, that um, I was telling somebody, when I do my forecast on air, what I'm talking about is a forecast for 22 counties. If someone asks Thanks. me, what's the specific forecast for Charlotte motor speedway, my information is going to be far different for that specific point right. than it was for the 22 County forecast. I just gave on the air. Right. <laughs>
1: read, and it's, you know, it, and it gets down to it where Brad and Ricky, that that probability is a point probability that if the world were perfect, which it ain't, um, but if the world were perfect, that in the situation atmospherically was essentially the same that you'd get rain, what 20%, uh, two of the 10 times, essentially it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a statistical probability for, it's a point probability, essentially, if you're in that area, that's being forecast for. Yeah,
3: and Brad brought up a, a great point earlier about beaches. Uh, and, and, you know, it depends on where you are a lot of times, what your atmosphere is like. Uh, we see it many times where, you know, the weather service will call for a 40% chance of rain, for Charleston area and that's a, the point there is from the airport which is inland it's about 15 It's about 20 miles inland uh, from the actual barrier island beaches so a lot of times with the sea breeze when that builds up you get that rain and that'll fulfill that 40 percent in fact it'll double that uh, but if the coastline when you get a dry line at the coast there'll be nothing and maybe the thunderstorms will approach the coast later in the afternoon and fizzle out before they even get there so sometimes uh, you know with the beaches I tell folks You know, go ahead, you know, because people get worried when the percentage of rain goes up and they start asking questions, they have weddings and all these things. I would say, go ahead and keep your plans, but have a plan B. Uh, A lot of times these things don't end up hitting you or covering your area. And just like Troy said, it is a point forecast for a lot of spots.
2: Brad, I'd like to go back to the point that you made a little bit ago about the difference between the technical definition and what the public's understanding of that is and how you – how you would kind of maybe adjust you know, your delivery uh, based on that. Um, so one of the things that that I think people have found also, or when I've kind of surveyed informally, is that sometimes the the percent of time that it's going to be raining. So you've got your forecast period of an entire day, and you know for sure you're going to get rain in the morning, and you know for sure it's going to be dry in the afternoon. I mean, that's a 100% chance of rain because you are going to get rain during that 12-hour period. Um, do you do you then personally adjust that you know maybe it's a 70 or 80 percent based on the fact that the whole period you're covering is not going to be raining the whole time um and how does that work with you know when you're forecasting smaller time periods you know, we have models that do one hourly time periods and so the pops in those are far different from a whole day
8: yeah and that can be confusing like for instance uh you know tv's all about hour by hour forecast you know they'd love to do minute by minute forecast and the pops for the minute by minute and hour by hour you could have like you said like in the morning those pops could be 80% but my average for the day on my 7 day might only be like 40 or 50% because of what you said that i only anticipate it raining for a little bit in the first half of the day and then it being done so um even even in the in two graphics i might have something that's slightly different but i do agree with you that i think it, it in that instance the if i put a 100% chance of rain even though i know it's going to be for an hour in the morning most people Um, have this this word that I I, I've I'm I've grown to cringe the washout. You know, is it going to be a washout? And to me, this is a term where I think of a washout like it's literally raining every hour the entire day, Um, and that rarely happens ever except for you know hurricanes and tropical systems like we've seen where it rains here tomorrow. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but you know that that's pretty rare in the summertime. It never rains for eight nine consecutive hours, right? Right, but. If I put a hundred percent chance in the in the forecast because I know there's going to be a wave of storms in the morning that will be gone technically that should be a hundred percent chance of rain the public looks at that as a washout for tomorrow and they think the whole day is done and if the sun came out at one o'clock in the afternoon they'd look at me and go I thought today was going to be a washout and you say no my hundred percent was for the morning so that's where you really get the the confusing part of this um you know this whole thing about you know the the, the number because. People are using it as, you know, how how much rain are we going to see the entire day? Troy made a good point that the, the the percent chance of rain is the chance you'll see any rain at all. It doesn't in, include intensity or right. duration. Um, so people think that, you know, it, like you've heard the joke, you know, I forecast a 20% and someone gets in one of those little pulse type thunderstorms in the afternoon, they get like three inches of rain and they'll look at me and go so much for your 20% chance, you know. Um, but the thing is the 20% wasn't for the amount of rain. It was no. just, that it was going to rain. Um, that means it could have been drizzled for five minutes or yeah. deluge for 30 minutes, you know?
1: And that's, um, and that's why, and, and that's why I, I tell people sometimes when they tell me that Brad, uh, they say so much you're 20% and I'll say, well, yeah, it should have been more like 10%. percent you were the only person got the shower. I always like to do that just to bug people. <laughs> no, um, that's true but, because uh, everybody just only cares but, uh, about what happened. You know, to them. <laughs> it, it, it's, um, I don't know. It, um, it's that point probability thing, and, and, and I think we've gotten real good, Brad, and all of you at, um, at distinguishing between periods with the HR, R, R, whatever, how many R's, the, the short-term uh, <laughs> models that we have and, and everything else do a really remarkable job in helping us in some of that short-term stuff. And even the Weather Service, I think, does a pretty good job on their pages distinguishing even within the period today, tonight. Um, I think the Weather Service has got some confusing wording in some of their forecast. Um, but uh, but, at the same time, I think we 're all getting a little better with uh, distinguishing that hundred percent this morning to maybe uh decreasing chance or a sixty percent chance this afternoon
8: yeah um it's it 's just a battle, and uh, you know they continually talk about you know these smaller and i think that 's where you run into the issues, Troy is when you're in that twenty thirty percent range and somebody does get rain um that 's probably the most frustrating thing for a lot of people when they get caught in that yeah. shower. And they sit there and go. I thought the chance of rain was only or twenty or thirty percent, and um, they don't realize that. Well, you know, somebody had to get rain if there was a twenty and thirty percent. You were the lucky one. Go buy a lottery ticket. You know, right. um, that's kind and, of the way it is. You know, and and people, unfortunately, it's 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 like what we see with tornado warnings. You know, people only care uh, to hear about tornado warnings if it affects them. And in rain forecast, um, it really it, for them, if it rains on them, it should have been a hundred percent. And, that, and you know,
1: I, th- I think it was Ricky that brought up, and, and here I'll go on this, so watch while I climb up on my soapbox, um, <laughs> brought up the deal with apps. I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully. Um, folks, be careful with your apps. Uh, you wonder why you can get a forecast for, an, for a zip code? It's because it's basically numerical weather prediction output without much in the way of human input. Forecaster input in a lot of cases and I caution people about using apps and relying upon those sometimes because um, you know, I guess if the model's good, it's okay. But if the model sucks, it's bad. And, uh, and, you know, computer age is great,
8: but I tell people to be careful with their apps. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I'm not going to be, I, I, I could preach about apps all day, but they're yeah. not going away. And I understand that there's a whole generation of people that that's the only way they're going to get a weather forecast. Yeah. I think the educational part of what Troy mentioned is um, it's okay to use app, but you got to understand where that information is coming from. If you understand that it's an automated single point, maybe single model driven forecast, then it's okay. At least you know the drawbacks, but I think a lot of people think it's the same thing that I'm saying on the air or a seasoned meteorologist is saying.
1: Well, but Brad, but listen to me here. And, and again, here we go. Um, What do people, people read stuff on the internet every day, Brad, that they think is true. 60% yes. of the stuff on this machine right here is crap. <laughs> it, it's not, it's not true. You can't believe 60% of what you see on the internet. And so I say, if we don't understand that what's up there is not true, then I don't think we – I worry about the fact of whether the general public can understand whether an app uh, has good information. So, uh, Troy,
0: yeah. Troy, you're telling me that we're not going to have 15 days of darkness?
1: Um, <laughs> I'll, move, I'll move on. Thank you very much, Scotty. <laughs> uh, Scotty, I, I just knew – how I know you were going to bring that up? No, no. I tell you what, Ricky. Let's just cut Scotty off, okay? Just, oh, I'm
4: sorry, Scotty's running. Did another I'm dude, I'm <laughs> Scotty. The and, uh, I also put sunscreen in my eyes to protect myself from the eclipse. Yeah, as yeah. I, <laughs> I heard that one last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are coming up on 8:35. So, uh, is there any final points you guys like to make on this? Then we'll kind of transition a little bit for the past for the last 20 minutes or so to uh, Harvey and Brad. We'll talk about some of the potential impacts of uh, the remnants here in North Carolina as well. I
1: think I think, uh, think we I think everyone everyone that's out there right now listening to us and seeing us completely understands probability of precipitation now. Okay.
4: (laughs) I think the challenge perhaps Troy is then who understands it has to perhaps be the, uh, the, the educator of people who don't. And, uh, we should use that as our opportunity sometimes.
1: So you're saying Ricky, that we should be become critic, better critical thinkers in this country.
4: Well, that's
1: Okay. Uh-huh. That'll be the next podcast. That'll be the next one that we'll talk about.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> All righty. Well, let's transition over to Harvey and some of the impacts. Um, I want to just go around the, the table here, guys. And obviously this was a storm that impacted so many people. It is one that we have not seen in such a long time in the United States. Tell me just some quick, you know, maybe a thirty second thoughts on what this storm is going to be known for in your head. And Brad, we'll go to you first, then we'll kind of jump to Shay and then uh, go around the panel here.
8: Um, I think it, it'll go down as, uh, and it sounds weird to say this, but even though it was mainly rain, which I, I, I don't want to diminish it, it's going to go down as the worst hurricane in U.S. history, at least in the people's minds today, because of the widespread flooding that it caused. Now, it, Galveston hurricane, Andrew, there's other hurricanes you could argue climatologically and death toll wise are going to you know, be stronger, but... In people's minds, because of the just epic amount of rainfall, and especially over one of the biggest cities in the U.S. I think Houston's the fourth biggest city in the United States. It's going to go down is the one of the worst hurricanes ever. And I know dollar damage-wise, it certainly will because of the amount of infrastructure. And if you have ever been in a flood, you can you know flooding is just it to me of all the damage you can have. Flood water is like the worst. It is just it's just it's just horrendous and. I will remember it for uh, the rainfall rates. Well, I've certainly, I, I was in Katrina, I've been in Rita, Wilma, I could name a million storms, Matthew here. I've never seen rainfall rates like we've seen with this storm, um, six inches per hour. I think at one point there was minute by minute data I saw 10 inches per hour, per hour rainfall rates at one point. And then precipitable waters over three inches. That's just something I have never seen in my meteorological career, and that's what will stick out to me. And also that amazing Go 16 satellite imagery at landfall. Um, I said it on Twitter, and I f- firmly believe it. I know there were stronger hurricanes, but on satellite representation alone, that was one of the most awesome and stunning and devastating-looking things I've seen at landfall in the U.S., at least on satellite, and a lot of that had to do with the technology of GO 16
4: Jay, you went through the Joaquin flooding a couple of years ago in South Carolina, and this, you know, while obviously there was perhaps many more people impact, this reminds me so much of that and the, the sheer magnitude of the flooding across a large area.
3: Yeah. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a different setup there because you had a lot of uh, mid to upper flow really just uh, turning on the fire hose over the coastline. Um, you know, that propagated the, the, the propagation of surface moisture. It was just unreal here. Um, To me, I would say Harvey is yet another reminder of just how deadly flooding can be for these hurricanes. It's not the wind, that's the killer. In most cases, it's the actual flooding. Um, Seeing that thing in such a short amount of time blow up to major status, a Category 4, within a a two to three day period, super impressive. Like Brad said, the GOES-16 imagery showed it all. Uh, Rapid intensification in that area, even with the lower THCP, it really wasn't as high as uh, say like what Matthew did in the Central Caribbean last year. Uh, so uh, you know we're we're constantly studying the, the the causes for rapid intensification. And you know for for that area, I wouldn't have expected it to become a category four, maybe a two or three. Uh, but you know there again, the flooding, that is the killer. And we saw that with, with with Joaquin all the way through Columbia with the dams breaking. We saw that with Hurricane Matthew in Southeast North Carolina and Eastern North Carolina um that has got to be the highest priority so um, another is i know i'm going over the 32nd limit here but i'm going to go ahead and tap into this but evacuations um i think it's important every state emergency management dot they all have a specific plan for fast track evacuation from the coastline there's got to be infrastructure for it and it's it's just so important uh, to get people out of the way of flooding especially if you know that those areas are flood zones uh, I'm going to hand it back to you because I don't want to take up too much of the court here. So Ricky, if you want to uh, go to the next in the round, those, that's my thoughts.
4: Okay, uh, Troy, I mean, you're from, or you're from or, or live in Texas now, both?
1: Yeah. I've been mean, in Austin, not that far from um, Ricky where it made landfall. A couple of things that I would have you remember and Brad and all of you've talked about the uh, the flooding. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we have University of Texas assets uh, down at port aransas and rockport where um harvey made landfall uh, folks it's pretty it was a pretty destructive wind event as well my whole concern would be that we lost focus with that once it got inland and we started getting 50 60 inches of rain in some areas but the damage in port aransas and rockport which is one of my favorite places to go our family goes down there uh the last few years uh, as a group and um Uh, I don't think we'll be able to go for the next couple of years now based on what we're able to see. I will tell you something that's interesting to me. Uh, Last Thursday, and Brad will back me on this, that I had some calls from newspapers and we were talking about this. And as that storm became stronger, I really thought about it long and hard, knowing my reputation might be at stake. But I said on Thursday evening to one of the local newspapers, I said, I believe this will be a catastrophe for the state of Texas. And on Friday, as it intensified, like Ricky uh, talked about, um, I even went out further and I said, I believe this will change the shape of the Texas coast, essentially, and what we see. And I was very worried about that. And what I've seen is that's truly the case now. Um, I think, Ricky, one thing that we've got to do a better job with is let people know that our colleagues at the National Hurricane Center in Miami, the meteorologist down there, their best skill really is with the track. Um, we don't quite have the skill, what Ricky was talking about, in strength. That's the one thing that it's been kind of tough for us to get. It's, we're not quite as good at, at that as we are uh, with the, with the track itself. And I'll tell you, on the Corpus Christi uh, WSR 88D on, at 10 o'clock on Friday night, uh, y'all talked about the GOES 16 imagery, but I'll tell you, I that image at 10 o'clock uh, Friday night when that system made landfall off the Corpus Christi radar was truly a, a textbook version of a hurricane uh, that'll be used in textbooks a long time into the future. I think
4: just watching the eye roll replacement cycle. Yeah. Like oh yeah. It was, it was right. amazing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. James or, or Jared or Stephen or not Steven. Uh,
7: <laughs> Are you adding guests oh, now? Ricky? I'm
4: mixing all my letters together.
7: Who's Steven?
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're adding new people to the panel. Any, <laughs> any other comments, any guys? You now, in general, here.
5: Well, talking about the 88D, this is the first major hurricane strike in the Super Res era. The last her- major hurricane strike, you had, you know, you had one kilometer by one kilometer, you know, two fifty-six bins on on level two if you were lucky. And now, and now we have like real time access to Nextrad level two, and that made those meadows, mesovortices vortices so clear. Uh, that is the thing that I'm going to take away from Harvey so much is that you have this big, big eye, and then you have these mesivortices absolutely just, just crushing Rockport, and then it goes calm again, and it, it's just it, it it was it's just crazy to watch. It was just crazy to watch. I had it up on uh, I run Whips at home, and I had uh, I had Go 16 up. I think I, I think everybody is going to remember uh, Go 16's first big landfall, um, and it's that that is that that imagery is burned into my memory
3: Yeah, jared. I agree that the port de pass sensor went down uh, Due to one of those um, on the just on the outer eye wall as it was coming ashore That that sensor went down the vein and anemometer went down the pressure gauge the barometer stayed intact uh, We had a deployable unit with one of our weather flow sensors with the university of florida that stayed on track at the 10 meter level uh, never went out and I didn't think that we were gonna have a calm eye at first because of those mesovortices, but once it was on land for a bit, those, those sort of collapsed and then we saw the calmness. So we saw the actual, the dip in the graph, the, the whole side profile um, and it was really fascinating. But yeah, for a little while there, when those winds were only calming to about 20 to 30 knots in mulls, I thought maybe we're not gonna have such a calm eye, but um, you know, once they get over land, they, they tend to fall apart pretty quickly, but they are a, a real threat for hurricane hunters. Uh, they also cause tornadic activity, and some of those mesovortices can actually have mm-hmm. higher winds than the actual eyewall. So um, we didn't, I think we saw some gusts about 130 mm-hmm. uh, just 32. inside the eyewall there.
1: And we actually, uh, guys, I just noticed, I'm looking here at another screen. I, I didn't realize this, but we've actually got the Rockport, uh, uh, the, uh, I don't remember if that's an AWAS or ASOS, but we've actually got that reporting data now again. It just started, I hadn't seen it all day. So
4: Wow. I saw the uh, a, WTC numbers earlier and it came in at max of 132, I think was what the highest. Really, yeah. A couple of
0: things. yeah. A couple of things and I'm kind of go off course from the flooding and stuff. Um, it seemed like I, I know every tropical system has tornadoes with it, but it seemed like there's just, you know, just crazy amount of tornado warnings that was issued with this hurricane. Uh, and at one point, I think it was Sunday morning. Uh, I was sitting in church and not paying attention, but uh, you know, I seen flash flood warnings and then a tornado warning. So you have, you know, people's homes who are, you know, flooded and they're on the top story. And now you have a tornado warning over the same place. You know, I was just thinking to myself as a meteorologist, how do I communicate? What what threat do you communicate there? Uh, another thing, uh, you know, is some of the images. I know Jeff Piotrowski was out uh, live streaming during the eyewall as it, as it came ashore. That was some crazy footage. Uh, but one thing that I, I saw, especially with what's been going on in our country on uh, the past couple of weeks and months is just seeing how everybody come together in Houston. And you've seen boat after boat, after boat going out and rescuing people uh, no matter color, race, age, anything like that. Yeah. And, and that was really cool to see. And that, that will, that will stick in my mind as well. Just see how everybody came together and it's still coming together today, you know, to help out their neighbors. I'll tell That's
1: you something, something else. You yeah. yeah. That one thing that, that I'll always remember. And, this guy happens to be a close friend of mine. I don't know how many of you saw the uh, news conference yesterday with uh, Chief uh, Art Acevedo of the Houston Police Department. Art was here in Austin before he went to Houston and is a close friend, and he lost one of his sergeants uh, in the flood waters. We found out yesterday. And that probably I, I know the chief pretty well um, to know that uh, he was really uh, destroyed by that, and uh, that press conference yesterday, a some all take away for a long time.
4: Talk about storm surge for a minute, guys. Did you guys see any huge numbers for storm surge? I know the, the predictions were out there of 9 to 12 feet. We had the storm surge warnings. I didn't see any huge storm surge flooding anywhere. I know Rockport, some of the engineers that were there said that most of the damage seemed to be caused by wind and not yeah, surge. Yeah. That's
1: that's what I've heard, Ricky. We, we had a few people at the Marine Science Institute, which the University of Texas has down there, and I'm hearing a lot of stuff on wind. And even looking at some of the pictures, yeah, there's some seaweed in certain places, but most of the stuff that I'm seeing is not so much, didn't look so much surge related as it looked just like uh, wind
8: damage related. Yeah. I think um, the surge what I found working in the Gulf coast for many years and, and looking at hurricanes down there, the big surge events down there tend to occur when the storm is strong out in the Gulf and it has time to build the surge up. I think because it, intensified so rapidly near the coast. There wasn't enough water and fetch to get the surge big enough. I mean, some of the biggest surge events I saw in New Orleans were tropical systems like Lily and Isidore that were out in the middle. They were big, broad systems that sat there for a couple days. They actually weakened as they came near the coast, but boy, did they bring surge with them because the water had built up for days. And so I think that's you know, Katrina, that's why the surge was so high in Katrina, because it built that surge out in the middle of the Gulf when it was a cat five. And even though it weakened at landfall, that wall of water gets built up over the, the central Gulf. That's where you have the biggest surge events. With Harvey, it didn't it, it strengthened so quickly and so close to the coast, it just I don't think it had time to build up a big
3: surge. Yeah, right. I totally agree, Brad. Um, you know, another thing is is that there's a couple of stations down uh in that area. So if you're looking at the screen here, the Port Aranzas. Uh, sensor, uh, the water level sensor in Padre Island wrote down. The Freeport one is operable, so is Galveston. And I didn't see too much of a surge. In fact, looking at the archives, I believe their water level is somewhere between about one and two feet. And the most that I got was about four. Oh, what is this? Uh, 4.52 feet, and that was at Bob Hall Pier, just south of Corpus Christi. Yeah. Uh, if we look, uh, you know, a little f- further north, there's there's really not too much uh, more than that. Uh, if I can find the water level there. Going back to Friday, again, you know, just a little over four feet. So about f- anywhere from 4.1 to 4.7 feet is what I saw. So it was a maybe two to three foot surge uh, from the storm. And just like Brad said, I, I do believe that was uh, basically because the storm came together so quickly, it didn't have time to send a long period fetch or even a short period high swell fetch into the coastline. So, Jay, um, yeah.
4: James, Eric, or Peter, uh, i am written close to nine. So I want to give you an opportunity to jump in here if you'd like to as well. Eric, let's go to you. Any thoughts from you?
2: Yeah, it's uh it was it was definitely interesting to watch. I think um for me not only was it the first uh first hurricane that we've gotten with uh with the GOES 16 even though it's non-operational and preliminary, it was still great data. Um uh, but it was really also the first I I know we've had, you know, Sandy and and Matthew close, but it was really the first major uh impact um to this degree anyway in the social media era. Um you know, 12 years ago when uh we have that uh, devastating 2005 season. We didn't have Twitter, um, uh, barely had Facebook and, and certainly didn't have all the, the phone technology and stuff. And so I think it was really interesting to kind of watch the flow of information, uh, good and bad. Um, you know, there's certainly some of those fake photos that we're used to kind of seeing out there, but, uh, you know, to just be able to see what people are experiencing, you know, you had chasers all over the place, Jeff Petrowski was mentioned. Um, but it really gave you a, a pretty decent idea in real time of of what was going on down there. And, um you know i don't know if that if that played into um some of the response as well if you you know you more people are aware of what's going on perhaps it contributes to a either a faster or a broader response than you might have uh you know say 12 years ago the last time this happened but i thought that was fascinating how it kind of played out on social media as well and
7: uh, ricky i would just add to that that uh I think from a broadcast standpoint, from a journalism standpoint, if I step back and I look at this, it was a nice reminder of the service that broadcasters and forecasters and emergency operators are all supposed to be providing in times of disasters. We call it a nice timeout to a lot of the political commentary you see on tv even if it was just for a moment and it got back down to the roots of of what this industry is supposed to be doing uh and so while we of course hope that events like this never happen uh in situations where they do it's it's nice to see some professional journalism happening once again
6: yeah to go off of uh, eric's point with social media um cnn was telling people to write on twitter and facebook Uh, if they lost a pet, if they lost a family member, something like that, so they could share it out to everybody uh, so more people could see it and hopefully they find the uh, people that are lost and uh, maybe stuck in the rubble somewhere uh, if there's any damage. But social media was a huge thing uh, with this storm because, like Eric said, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Twitter back during the last uh, major hurricane. So uh, I think everybody was really, really talking this up the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's really helping people out uh, with the uh, devastation and stuff well i've got a, I've got
1: a question for everybody then as as we wrap this baby up uh, in just a few minutes. Um, did people act appropriately? do we think do people does the social media help people perceive the risk any better than what we had twenty or thirty years ago?
4: I would argue perhaps social media adds a level of confusion at times to it. There's so many new sources out there. But I also believe that it makes it so much easier to get information out and so much easier to get what you want. Um,
1: But do do you also agree, Ricky, that some of that information is not true, right?
4: 100 percent. Some of that information is not true. I think there's a very fine line to walk between being useful and being an issue. Um, Yeah, we kind of saw some of the Houston mayor's tweets about not believing things out there on Facebook that were posted. Yeah forecasting astronomical, uh, crazy levels of rain. And some of those forecasts were actually perhaps the right forecast. Um, Yeah, well, you know, we have
1: to remember that people, part of risk perception for people, not everybody's like us, um, they don't understand exactly what the risk is. And a lot of times, even all of us, even in life, we perceive risk based on past experiences. And unfortunately, people are moving to coastal areas. They've never had a chance to experience a hurricane. They wouldn't know what one is like. All they go is what they've heard. And as a result, uh, and I think one of the best stories, and I won't bore you with my age, uh, but one of the best stories, and Brad remembers this, um, is with Hurricane Camille in 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 the late 60s on the Mississippi coast. They couldn't figure out how to get people out of the six block area south of of the railroad berm north of us highway 90 and it's sunday morning and we've got uh, 18 hours till the storm comes ashore and they couldn't get people to perceive the risk and finally one young mississippi highway patrol trooper they're sitting in a jail holding this meeting trying to figure out how they're going to get people south of railroad berm to leave and one of the guys said let's just take all the fingerprint pads and all the fingerprint things and take them out there and say look we've asked you to leave and now that you've told us you're not going to let's get a full set of your fingerprints and i need the name and number of your next of kin and what we learned there they got more much more of an evacuation rate at that point because people realized this thing may kill me yeah. and and there's no state that i know of and maybe Brad has some insight on there's no state no state of texas you can't you can't force there there may be such thing as mandatory evacuation you a law enforcement officer cannot at
8: the point of a gun Force someone to leave their home. Period. Yeah, unfortunately, we. You're right, Troy. I think you know. I used to have the saying in New Orleans, and unfortunately, it bared out after Katrina yeah. was that your level of preparedness is only as good as your memory of the last disaster. That's right. um, so, if if like you said, it's been 12 years since a major hurricane, um, if you lived on the coast and never experienced it, um, you don't you don't perceive the risk. Um, and I think sometimes it's really difficult to tell people. Um, how bad it's going to be. I think you're right. You can't force people to leave. That's why I I think some of the mayor's tweets were kind of erroneous, but I also agree with him that they couldn't evacuate. You can't force people to leave. I think the one thing he went wrong with was telling people that wanted to evacuate on their own not to do so. I mean, that's kind of dumb. If you want to leave, leave. I mean, you should never not tell people (laughs) not to leave.
1: I do do know, just to let y'all know, that in the state of Texas – in the last week that they were that we had some of the emergency officials law enforcement people going by and saying if you're not going to leave at least take this sharpie i want you to write your social security number on your arm and um and and we go from there um and i think they got people that said what uh maybe i will leave um so that works pretty well too
4: brad i liked your quote that you tweeted out um as harvey was approaching it says you evacuate because of what could happen it's like wearing a seatbelt all those times you did it just in case you needed it?
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's why I say I think that's why I, I said earlier about the medical analogies and stuff. I, I find it fascinating and, and, and disturbing as well, like how people perceive weather threats versus other threats in their life. Like I wear my seatbelt every single day in my car. I've never actually needed that seatbelt, but yeah. I still wear it. um And I'll hear from people like I evacuated four times for nothing. Why do I need to keep evacuating? Well. I go back to the sea analogy because you live in the coastal sections, that's the price you pay for living there. You must evacuate. You will probably evacuate five times for no reason. And it'll be the sixth time that you actually have to leave. So I just think that's the thing I think we have to you know, preach home that yes, there are gonna be false alarms and you may not do it, but just like other things in life, you, there's a risk involved. You're going to have to over, be overly cautious in yeah. these situations.
1: And it, one of the most interesting, uh, Ricky and Brad and everybody else, one of the most interesting things that I use to tell my students about this is a course that we offered at one time. It's called The Geography of HIV and AIDS. And you go back to the early, uh, early 1980s. Uh, when this was small, clustered, identified by uh, the uh, folks from Atlanta in in the San Francisco area, primarily the gay population, and then you talk to people in uh, 1990 and 2000, and you see how people at first said, oh, good, that's in that part of the country, and it doesn't involve me, to where we are now, where AIDS and HIV has become more manageable, and between that, we've gone through a death series, where it was a death sentence, and how people perceive that risk, and and it's the same thing, exactly the same thing Brad's talking about. It it just depends on how you're affected by it, and, you know, at one point, that was something on the West Coast, and all of a sudden, across the United States, it's a concern for all of us
4: nowadays. I've got one last thing I want to bring up here, and then I will toss it back to Scotty. Um, One of the things that always surprises me, and obviously, every storm is different, but let's say, let's use this storm, for example, how confined the wind damage was, and I think when we talk about catastrophic damage and these, you know, uninhabitable unha- for weeks and months, we really have to be specific where we're talking about. It was really just that Western eyewall towards Rockport, Port, uh, what, Port what was it again? Uh, Port Aransas, yeah. Port Aransas, yeah. where that damage was yeah. so incredible.
1: Yeah, and it, it was in a small area, and, and you've got to really – if you haven't come down and visit beautiful texas and 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 go look at that area because there's not this is not an area where you have a lot of big buildup it's mainly small towns tourist towns fishing towns um and things like this along the mid texas coast um one thing that was also big is that system sat there got around quero texas and did loop de loop about five times and it continued to thrash the area with these tropical storm force winds but it's not a Ricky, a real highly populated part of Texas where it was.
4: Gotcha. All right. Uh, Shay, I think you had a question and then we'll give it to Scotty after a question.
3: Yeah. So uh, looking at the total rainfall amounts, just to give folks an idea of, of um, the impacts from rain in some of these areas of Texas, I'm not sure what the final numbers are. I know the preliminary numbers were out uh, as of 9 a.m. CDT yesterday, there was 49.32 inches at Mary's Creek. That's uh, near Houston. So that's over four feet of rain. We're talking 20 trillion gallons of water plus. It's just an immense amount, four feet of rain in, in such a small period of time. Does anyone have any of the latest updated numbers since Harvey
7: yes. has finally left the area? I do, uh, Shay. I actually was just writing down the, the numbers as of, uh, I think, the top of the last hour. 51.88 inches of rain in Houston, which is obviously a new record. Uh, does that jive kind of with what you were seeing? Yeah,
3: that's pretty close. I think there was one record. I'm not sure if it's true. Something, a Hawaiian tropical storm that dropped 52 inches. Is that correct? And is 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 that close? Pretty close to that.
1: I, I think it is that. But keep in mind, I kind of was cringing a little bit yesterday when the media was reporting this new record. Keep in mind, those records are going to have to be vetted by our friends at NCEI. Uh, this is going to be something that's going to take a while. They're going to look at those uh, the sighting of those rain gauges and a bunch of things like this. So the media, I think, uh, hopped the gun a little bit uh, yesterday. Uh, we ought to say those are preliminary uh, records until we can vet those numbers a little more. Yeah, yeah I, that, think, I think some from, of those gauges actually failed.
8: They, they might be under-reading some of the yeah. numbers, to be honest with you. Right, yeah, 49.32
3: right. was uh, through NSEP. Uh, yeah. it was. I'm not sure if it's completely vetted by them or not. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, the State Climate Office, all these other... Um, Authorities are going to be looking through that data, so we'll find out. But I do know they had to make new colors on the rainfall right. maps just to accommodate the amount of rainfall. It's unbelievable.
8: And like our, the rain uh, damage our, down near Corpus, don't forget Beaumont, Port Arthur, almost 48 inches of rain right. over there. They got clobbered.
3: Our uh, our state
1: climatologist, uh, John Nielsen, Dr. John Nielsen Gammon from Texas A&M, I'm, I'm sure will be looking at that. And, uh, you know, keep in mind, too, that some of these may have been tipping bucket gauges which you always worry about with underestimating totals uh, by up to 10 to 20% in real heavy rain events. So uh, they're going to be looking very closely at that.
4: And one thing I thought was kind of cool, if you want to use that word, was that the WPC added a high risk on day three uh, to their uh, outlooks now. They've never done that before. And uh, Greg Carbon tweeted that they had to change that for this event. So certainly a storm that will go down the record books and uh, one that will unfortunately change people's lives in texas and there'll be people that talk about before harvey and after harvey so all right scotty we'll uh, hand off to you to kind of wrap up everything all
0: right thank you ricky a few things uh had a few questions and comments uh joseph allison says hello to troy great to see you on the show uh there's a kevin wagner he's wanting to know uh, just a quick question for you guys Uh, i think we all will say yes on this question but pretty sure that uh, harvey's name will be retired from the hurricane
4: list yeah, I'd say that's one hundred percent.
0: All right, and then Brad, one last question for you. Uh, we had someone tweet in; uh, they were wanting uh, for you to briefly go over uh, maybe what the the severe potential may be here in the Carolinas for Friday.
8: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn on the severe potential because we've almost got kind of a weird, kind of wedgy kind of setup here in the Carolinas, especially up towards the Charlotte area. Um, we might have stratiform rain and clouds that would deter uh, instability. Um, for any major severe weather threat. But if we get any sun breaking through at all Thursday or Friday, um, I think we're going to have to watch for some rotating storms because there is plenty of shear. I think it's the typical Carolina setup. Boatloads of shear and no cape. Uh, High shear, low cape event um, with a tropical system. But, you know, these low top tropical type little storms, you got to be careful that you could get something to spin up really quickly. So right now, I, I think the SBC is right on, right on it with the marginal risk for both Thursday and Friday. But I think the, the, the stratiform rain, which is actually some of it's moving in tonight. I'm looking at some light rain falling right now in Charlotte. Um, is probably going to keep the instability down and keep us from getting anything major. But again, like we do all the time, watch out for that sunshine. Pops out on Friday, then we might have some issues. Friday certainly looks like more of a risk than tomorrow.
0: All right, well, I do want to thank both you guys. We've had a, a big following on our, our YouTube page and our Facebook Live, a lot of comments and questions and our Twitter coming in. So uh, I think everyone enjoyed the topic tonight. Before we do log off, uh, Brad, I know you got to get back to the station, so I'm going to let you go ahead and promote your social media platforms to uh, our followers, and I'm sure if they are not following you, uh, they'll want to after the show.
8: Yeah, just uh, check me out. It doesn't matter what social media. Just look for WX Brad. <laughs> and I'm pretty much on everything. You can find me on um, uh, my blog, my YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even Snapchat. But I don't do as much Snapchat as I, as I like. I'm, i am I kind of given up on Snapchat a little bit, um, publicly at least. I don't mind Snapchatting with friends. But um, any of those sources, you can find me.
4: You used to be able to find Brad on bumper stickers too. I don't know if he still has those.
8: <laughs> yeah, I saw some floating around in Louisiana and Texas one time. I heard. <laughs> are you are you a Snapcaster? No, I'm I, I just the Snapchat thing. I I thought it had huge promise for weather because of the uh, quick interaction, kind of like with Twitter. But I'm just finding that the user input from the public is just not there. Um, I I think it's it's just a peer to peer type thing seems to work better. So publicly, it just doesn't seem to to have the impact that the other platforms have right now.
0: And Mr. Troy, do you have any social media or any uh, way uh, our followers or listeners may be I
8: I don't even know what y'all
1: are talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a Facebook page and that's about it and you can find it pretty easily. But uh, that's been a lot of fun tonight. I, I thought we were gonna have Scotty like five minutes that I could tell you secrets about Brad or whatever.
0: We got, we got some times. So. Oh, okay.
1: That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll negotiate with Brad over that. That's a whole nother show.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we appreciate it. Stick on yeah. uh, after the show, Troy. We want to say thank you for, uh, for coming on, but I will say, Peter, you kind of line the next two shows up right quick. I'll let you go ahead and promote. Uh, we're going to be talking about going into September as uh, we round out the show.
6: All right. So uh, next two weeks or so, we're going to be talking about studying meteorology. We're going to have a few college kids on and some TV meteorologists talking about their uh, school career, I guess. uh, Talking about what they took in college to study meteorology, where they went and uh, where they are going to work or maybe took an internship or whatever. So uh, next week, we've got Trevor Gibbs, Kyle Kiel and Sam Harris here uh, to talk about their uh, where they went to school and stuff. So it should be a good show.
3: Yeah, one nugget with that, Trevor Gibbs, is uh, at the College of Charleston, which just started their brand new meteorology program or their, their uh, graduate program uh, last year. So we're looking forward to, to hearing from him and, and seeing how uh, that program is going along and and uh, where they are.
0: And Eric, I think we have one of your interns on the next week, correct?
2: Uh, yep, week two is going to be uh, Alex Herbst, he's a uh, graduate student at Mississippi State, um, Has his Undergrad from uh, up in the northeast part of the country, but is uh, down here for his graduate and uh, working towards the television uh, side as well. So, look forward to having him on. All right. Well, I, I will do wanna... steer
8: him away from that right away. <laughs> yeah, we'll <laughs> <go> <laughs> talk about <on> that. <laughs> Maybe I... you should come back
2: on, Brad, in a couple yeah. of weeks. <laughs> Don't I, do it. <laughs> I do
0: want to tell you guys uh, we do have a little bit of a breaking news for our show. Um, we're actually going to be pushing back our start time starting next week to eight fifteen Eastern. <laughs> kind of give us a little better time getting prepared and making sure all the bugs are worked out before we start our show so starting next week uh we'll be going on the air at eight fifteen eastern time uh we'll still try to keep it within our 45 minutes to an hour show but again eight fifteen. and peter has uh, created a graphic so we'll share that on our platforms over the next several days so you guys can get uh, accustomed to that but again we want to thank troy and brad for coming on tonight uh, great show and again uh, if you're listening on our podcast uh, Make sure that you subscribe to them and like them and share it uh, so we can get the word about what Carolina Weather Group's doing. So for everyone, we hope you have a great weekend, and we will see you back here next Wednesday night.